y'all welcome or welcome back this is talking shit with deja where we drop the eye because not only can i talk our shit but i want you to talk your shit too hope you all are doing lovely on this beautiful wednesday evening and if you're not catching us on wednesday i hope you all are doing lovely today and in the event that you're not I hope that my lovely voice makes you smile just a little bit today. Or when you see my beautiful smile, it'll pass along through you, to you through YouTube and everything. And it'll make you feel better today. Um, but y'all, guess what? Your girl is in the 30s. We're in the 30s. 30s. <laughs> That's so crazy to me. That I am at episode 30. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, my gosh. I'm at episode 30. This has been a journey, y'all. And it's been fun, to say the least. I definitely have fell off. But what I said, when you fall off, what you got to do? <laughs> hop back in there. Yes, you got to hop back in there. Don't give up, especially if it's something that you're very passionate about. When you get knocked off. Just hop back on that bike and keep on riding. I'll hop back in that uh, pool and do what Dory said. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Swimming. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> Definitely a Disney baby at heart. <laughs> but yes, episode 30. And this week, y'all, y'all would know what I'm talking about if you made it to the end of last week. And in the event that you didn't, I'm going to need you to pause, take a step back. And go check out last week. Make it to the end. And then you'll know what we're talking about. Then you can resume. And then you'll know. But I know y'all not going to follow directions. So I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all that this week we're talking about such a heavy topic. And that's grief, y'all. How to process grief. Baby, when I tell y'all. I have been going through the grieving process <laughs> for the last three years. <laughs> Just cycling in and out, in and out, in and out. I'm over here double dutching with grief right now. Like I have been going in and out of all of the stages and I'm just so drained. And I honestly wish I knew how to, you know, be able to get through grief a little bit better and things like that. But Surprisingly enough, we don't talk about grief like we should or like more when we know as a society that that's the one concrete thing that's going to happen is you're going to lose something. But they say you win some, you lose some, but you live to fight another day. <laughs> like they literally don't tell us how to deal with those losing sums. Like, and some people lose a lot. And the fact that they probably don't even know how to process losing whatever it is, whether it's something or someone, you know, if they knew how to get through it, I feel like people would be in a better headspace. We go through so much loss, rejection, all this other stuff that, you know, there's like no help to how to get through it. Or you don't even know if, you know, the way that you're, processing it is even the right way to process it like you don't know you know the reason why you may be like okay god if you do this for me that you know i'm gonna I'm do this i'm gonna be a better person that's like bargaining like you don't even know 
what what it looks like really to go through grief and the different stages and stuff. So I kind of just wanted to, y'all know me, put a, a face to the name or a name to a face, however that saying go. You know, I just wanted to be able to identify the the grieving process and share it with you all. Well, mostly just go over it. I've I've known what the grieving process was, but I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily know the different components of the grieving process. And, you know, different scientists have come up with different models for it. Um, but the one that I'm going to be going over is kind of the most common, which is the five steps of the uh, the five stages of the grieving process. Um, Y'all know me. <laughs> of course, I came across a website that has this information. So we're going to be using that website to go through the, the five stages. Um, on that website too, y'all though, they also had a four stage model and a seven stage model. And I'll put the link in the description if you want to be able to go over to that website and see those other models or those other stages. For me, the only reason why I'm going to do the five instead of any of the other ones is because I feel like the five stages are the most common that you hear when it comes to grieving. Like when I go through all of them, y'all go probably be like, you know what? I've heard that before. Like I didn't necessarily know like what it would look like or anything like that, but I've heard it. So definitely want to be able to just share those because it'll kind of be like something you already know, but you get a little bit deeper of, of a knowledge towards the subject. So we're going to go through that. But I just felt like this was a necessary topic again, not only because I'm going through my own grieving stuff, but I just feel like we deal with loss every day. And the fact that nobody talks about how to get through it or get to acceptance and things like that, or what it really looks like, if you even understand that you're going through a grieving process because some people probably don't even know that they're going through grieving stages. They're just maneuvering and they can't necessarily correlate it to grief because they've never been taught that these are things that happen when you lose something or someone. They just going through life maybe in the angry phase, but they don't necessarily know it's due to losing somebody. So I just want to be able to kind of put a again, a name to the face so that y'all can be like, dang, you know what? I did lose somebody that I really cared about. And I've noticed that I've been a bit more, you know, on the bargaining side with God. Like, okay, I've been having those conversations where it's just like, God, if you send me my man, I'm gonna get my life together. God, if you send me my wife, I'm gonna get my life to Like, you just start bargaining at everything or going through depression or anger or, you know, denial or any of those stages due to somebody leaving out your life or due to you losing something. So I'm going to go through that with y'all today. So I hope y'all ready to go through the information. So let's get it. Let's go. So I'm going to start off with a good definition because y'all, I feel like I've gotten away from definitions in the last few weeks. Like, or maybe I just stopped putting them in the video on YouTube. So I feel like I got away from them because I probably actually have still been defining stuff. I just stopped putting the definitions on the YouTube videos, which I'm going to get back to that because it'll make me remember that I do really be defining stuff. But I feel like I've gotten away from defining stuff. So we're going to start with the definition of grief. 
Um, so it says that grief is the response to loss, particularly to the loss of someone or some living thing that has died to which a bond or affection was formed. So basically, it's all of the emotions that you feel once something or someone has been taken from out of your life or they walked from out of your life. So whether it was due to abandonment or them being deceased, it's all of the emotions that comes with that after the fact of them being gone out your life. I think that it's going to vary from person to person, depending on how much of a connection you had to this person. You may take so long to go through the grieving process compared to somebody that maybe you've only known for a couple months and they leave out your life. And you may be, you know, you may go through like a depressed phase for like maybe a week or two, but then you're just like, okay, I accept it. They're gone. Deuces. So it's just like, depending on the connection, depending on the memory shared, depending on the time share is going to determine how lengthy your grieving process is going to be and how much grief you're in um it's it's again it's how they connected to you how they bonded to you how you all share life is going to determine you know what are all those emotions that's going to hit you like a ton of bricks when they're no longer in your life so like i said i want to go through the five stages of grief that are on the website um and I definitely want y'all to be able to go check out the other two models. Um, I definitely like the seven stages model. Um, I just didn't want to go through that because it's not one that I'm used to. I'm used to the five stages, but I definitely would recommend y'all go look at both of the models, the four and the seven, just because the way that they explained it in the other ones are a little bit more, a little bit more brief and they're not as detailed as these ones or well let's say number four number the four stage model y'all it congests it and then the seven stage model it expands it a little bit so i definitely think that you know if you have the time just copy and paste the link and go check out that and get some more information so you can identify you know the different stages that you may be in due to somebody leaving out your life or something leaving out your life you know so the first stage that we're going to talk about is denial. Yes, y'all, denial. Um, and then the definition of denial is going to be the action of declaring something to be untrue. So to me, when I hear the denial stage, I immediately think about shock and disbelief. Um, it's To me, shock comes first because somebody leaving out your life especially if it's unexpected like if it's randomly you didn't know it was coming up it's definitely shocking but say you knew that it was coming you just didn't necessarily know when then you could be in disbelief like yo i was just talking to this person yesterday they're they're gone out of my life like i'm not gonna be able to create any more memories with them ever i'm not gonna be able to be around them ever again like so you're in disbelief and as we learned a few weeks ago or months at this point in the defense mechanism uh, episode, and if y'all don't know about those defense mechanisms, I encourage you to pause, <laughs> take a step back <laughs> and go check out the defense mechanisms. <laughs> and so because 
denial is actually one of those defense mechanisms. And it says here that, you know, it's, it's what, it's when unpleasant thoughts, feelings, wishes, or events are ignored or excluded from conscious awareness. So basically, it's your brain trying to push out the negative event or the negative emotions. Well, not the emotions, but let's say the negative events or just the person leaving out of your life. It, your brain tries to push it out so you don't have to deal with the feelings that come with that. If I deny, 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 I don't ever have to deal with sadness. I don't ever have to deal with anger. I don't have ever have to deal with fear. I don't ever have to deal with loneliness. You know, all of these things that come when you lose someone, I don't have to deal with that. So it's your brain just like, wait a minute, emotion overload, let's slow down and let me try and protect you. Also, something that I've realized too is that outside of denial just being a defense mechanism, I feel like in the denial stage of grief, you go through other defense mechanisms to try and protect you as well. Like when people are in the denial stage of grief, they may intellectualize if, say, if somebody got cancer or something, they might intellectualize and they try to, they may try to figure out, okay, if you start eating this, 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 and this, it'll help you. Or if you start taking this, or if we say this doctor don't know what they're talking about, so we could go three other doctors and everything, you start to intellectualize because, again, it's a defense mechanism. Or you start to, you know, what is it? Uh, the angry one. I don't know, y'all. Sorry. I lost it. I might need to go back and check out the episode too. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like there's in the denial phase or the denial stage, you definitely probably have more defense mechanisms comes up, come up than just denial. And that's just due to, again, your brain is doing its primal instinct, and that's to protect you. Your brain does not like stress. Considering that we go through so much stress, your brain is not a fan of stress, especially when it doesn't know how to combat it. So, like, for me right now, I'm going through my first ever, like, real heartbreak and the shit sucks to say the least when i tell you i've been cycling all over the place like my brain has been in denial it's been bargaining it's been it's been i haven't been angry too much i don't think but it's definitely been depressed like it's been going through all of the the stages and it's just like Oh, it's so hard, y'all. But what they said on the website is as we process the reality of our loss, we are also trying to survive emotional pain. It can be hard to believe we have lost an important person in our lives. Oh, excuse me, y'all. During this stage in grieving, our reality has shifted completely. It can take our minds time to adjust to our new reality. We reflect on the experiences we've shared with the person we lost, and we might find ourselves 
wondering how to move forward in life without this person. This is a lot of information to explore and a lot of painful imagery to process. Denial attempts to slow this process down and take us through it one step at a time, rather than risk the potential of feeling overwhelmed by our emotions. Denial is not only an attempt to pretend that the loss does not exist, we are also trying to absorb and understand what is happening. So your brain is basically in a, in a phase where it's just like, battling reality and nonfiction, or that's that's reality, never mind, fiction. Fiction and nonfiction, let's do that. Yes, your, your mind is battling. So one part of your brain is like, okay, don't believe this because I'm trying to protect you emotionally. And the other part of your brain is like, but that's not real. <laughs> like this is really happening and I may lose this person. So then you start going through all of the memories and everything with this person and you, you try and slow down the emotions, but they, they start hitting you like a ton of bricks. So then your brain is back to, okay, but this isn't really happening. Like this, this person isn't going anywhere. Like you should go back and forth because your brain is battling what's real and what's fake. You know, it's trying to protect you. Your brain is your biggest protector, y'all. Like literally your biggest protector. So when you are introducing your body to a whole bunch of emotion or stressors or anything at one time, your brain is like, hold up, hold up, wait a minute. You thought I was like, no, I'm just kidding. It wasn't like that. But, but your brain is literally like, wait a second. It's okay. Take a step back. Calm down. Like, and if it has to tell you this isn't real for you to be able to do that, it will. Or if it has to help you to intellectualize or rationalize or whatever, it will. So that you can understand that this is a reality. Or this is, so you don't have to accept right now that this is reality. Sorry, I almost spoke. But yes, your brain is trying to help you to go into the emotions as easily as possible. Though it, not, it might not be the healthiest thing to deny that this is happening because, you know, once that person is completely out of your life, now you got to face the music. But again, it's the first phase or stage to me, I believe, because it's primal, is your brain immediately jumping into action. Without you even have to do, to do anything, your brain is just like, hold up, that's not true. You're not losing that person. That person's not going anywhere. That person's not as sick as you think they are. That person is this, that person is that. And it's like your mind goes haywire to calm you down, to help you to feel better so that you're not jumping all over the place emotionally. It's a necessary phase in my opinion, just because it is your first line of protection. Though staying in that denial phase for too long can be a bit of delusion and I wouldn't recommend that you continue to tell yourself that this person isn't going anywhere and they are, you know, is not helpful, but it's definitely necessary to help you to slow down the emotions. Like it says, denial comes in to help you to understand what is happening. So I think it's a necessary phase, but I don't think it's a phase you want to stay in for a prolonged period of time. So next, the next phase is going to be anger. Ooh, y'all, anger. 
And it says that uh, to feel anger is a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. And then it says on the website, um, it says we are trying to adjust to a new reality and are likely experiencing extreme emotional discomfort. There is so much to process that anger may feel like it allows us an emotional outlet. Keep in mind that anger does not require us to be very vulnerable. However, it may feel more socially acceptable than admitting we are scared. Anger allows us to express emotion with less fear of judgment or rejection. Anger also tends to be the first thing we feel when starting to release emotions related to loss. This can leave us feeling isolated in our experience. It can also cause us to be perceived as unapproachable by others in moments when we could benefit from comfort, connection, and reassurance. Yes, y'all. And that might have been what I was trying to get at. And I don't know if it was called anger in the defense mechanism phase. I mean, episode, but I'm going to go check it out. But I'm going to encourage y'all to go check it out, too. Hold me accountable. We can hold each other accountable. But yes, anger. Because I do remember talking about how that is our most common, like as a Black community, that tends to be our most common emotion that we like to put out into this world is you wouldn't have the angry Black man or the angry Black woman if that was not our trope. You know, what our stereotype, what everybody likes to think that we are, when in reality, that anger could be literally stemming from fear or, you know, loss or, you know, uh, abandonment, anything like that, you know, it's, it's some, usually anger is not the only emotion that comes with what a person is feeling. I think anger sometimes tend to be the result of feeling a certain way. So like they said, the person may be scared, but now it comes off as anger to everybody else around you. I know there's a lot of people who are scared when it comes to losing their loved ones and stuff like that. So it turns into anger. You know, I was just watching All American, right? The new season on Netflix. And if you have not checked it out, please do so. That show is fire. But needless to say, on there, the coach, Billy Baker, the dad to all of America right now, <laughs> like he passed away and he worked very closely with the young athlete on there named Spencer. Spencer got really close to him. And with his, with him losing Coach Baker, he was in the angry phase of depression for a minute, y'all. Like he was pushing everybody away. He was like snapping on people, even the people that he was the closest to, he was snapping, he was short. He was pushing his girlfriend away, pushing family members away. He was just like going in on everybody due to the fear. Like he finally goes and gets help therapy. So, you know, if you need help because you stuck in the angry phase, definitely reach out to a therapist or somebody you can talk to so that you can figure out how to get out of that phase. But he finally reached out to a therapist and it all boiled down to the reason why he was so angry. 
is because, well, fear was one of them, um, but the, one of the reasons was guilt. He was guilty. Well, he felt guilt because Coach Baker had called him the same day that he had passed away, and he sent him the voicemail. And in him sending him to voicemail, he felt like that was the reason why Coach Baker died. You know, I think a lot of people, too, if you have the the death of a person, if you feel like you're responsible for that, that death, that can turn into, you know, anger. So, again, like the guilt, the fear um, of not wanting to lose somebody else, you know, a lot of people will result to anger so that they don't have to make a close connection with anybody. It's just like, if I can push everybody away from me, I don't ever have to open up to anybody again. And now I don't have to go through this pain, through this loss ever again. Like they just, like I just read is that it helps you to, to not be very vulnerable. It allows you to close yourself off from the world so that nobody can get close to you again, so that you don't have to run the risk of ever experiencing the feelings like this again. When in reality, you know, that shouldn't be, you know, the reason why you don't want to get close to somebody is because of loss. Again, that's the one thing we know is so concrete, but because nobody is out here teaching us how to process and accept and let go and everything like that, we fear so much when we go through that one heartbreak or that one loss or whatever. Like it literally drives you to shut down. But again, that's a defense mechanism. Like you go into being defensive because you're you as a person did not handle the the losing somebody that well. So now your brain is cognizant that you're not the best with that. So now I can put up defense mechanisms or I could put a shield around you so that you don't allow anybody else to come in so that you never have to feel that ever again. And it, that shouldn't be a reality, especially when you realize that when you have connections with people, it's so nice. Just feeling what you feel when you are bonded to somebody to not get back to that place because you're scared that they may leave is it does you a disservice. Like you're gonna be, you're gonna run the risk of just being miserable, unhappy, angry, depressed, because you're scared to lose somebody when we know that that's inevitable. And that's why I think like that acceptance piece is so important, but I ain't gonna jump ahead. I ain't gonna jump ahead, but yes. If you notice that you're a bit more angry due to losing someone and you don't know how to shut it off, I definitely encourage you to reach out to somebody. It's not a space you want to be in. Again, in this country, we're known as the angry Black people. The last thing you want to do is let that run your life and let that drive you into a space where you're not able to get out of, whether that be the cell or six feet under or whatever. The, you don't want to get to that space of not being able to come back because you were not able to process losing somebody that meant something in your life. So reach out to somebody or a therapist or something if you notice that you're just angry and you don't know why or how to get out of it. Because I'd say 
that most likely has something to do with loss. So the next one, number three, is going to be bargaining. So it says that bargaining is um, you negotiating the terms and conditions of a transaction. And then it says um, from the website, when coping with loss, it isn't usual to feel so desperate that you are willing to do anything to alleviate or minimize the pain. During this stage in grieving, you may try to bargain to change the situation, agreeing to do something in return for being relieved of the pain you feel. When bargaining starts to take place, we often direct our request to a higher power or something bigger than us that may be able to influence a different outcome. Bargaining does uh, bargaining during the grieving process can come in the form of a variety of promises, including God. If you can heal this person, I will turn my life around. I promise to be better if you will let this person live. I'll never get angry again if you can stop him or her from dying or leaving me. And then it says, bargaining comes from a feeling of helplessness and gives us a perceived sense of control over something that feels so out of control. During bargaining, we tend to focus on our personal faults or regrets. We might look back at our interactions with the person's person we are losing and know all of the times we felt disconnected or may have caused them pain. Y'all, baby, when I tell you between this and depression, both of them had me in choco all last year. I was depressed. I was bargaining. Uh, I probably was in denial. Probably was all that. And I I'm, I think I was in depression like two, two years ago. Like, like I said, y'all, I've been cycling in and out of all these stages. But last year, bargaining and depression had me in a chokehold. I remember being in this room, y'all, just being like, okay, God, if I see him one more time, I, I think I'll be okay. Like, if I could get, if I could just ask him the questions and get the answers to these questions, I'll be okay. Uh, like, y'all, be careful when you go to bargaining and that person is alive. Be careful when you go to bar bargaining and that person is alive. Because uh, the tongue is powerful. You'll get what you're bargaining for, and you still won't be okay. You still won't be okay, or you still won't change, and you still won't do anything that you, you said that you would do when God gave you what you asked for. Like, I was just like, okay, God, if I could just have this conversation with him, I, I'd be okay. Y'all, I had the conversation with him. Still not okay. God, if I could just see him one more time. Like, I haven't seen this man in so long. If I could just see him one more time, I I just, I, I'd be okay. Like, I, I feel like I'd be okay. I feel like I'd be able to let go if I could just see him one more time. Got to see him one more time. And it just still ain't let go. <laughs> And then this one, this one was a little bad. <laughs> this one definitely was a little bad. But God, if I could just, if I could just have sex with him one more time, God, just one more time, I'd be able to. I, I think I'd be able to. Like, <laughs> y'all, it was terrible. But <laughs> had sex with him one more time, and all it did was leave me wanting more. Like that's why, like to me, bargaining when the person is alive is one of the worst things you could do because if you get any of the things that you ask for just to lose it all over again you gotta start all over in the grieving process and it might hit harder because 
when I got that, when I got the guy back and lost him all over again, it's like the distant memories were no longer distant, y'all. Like I literally created more grief for myself because I created newer memories. I got to know him just a little bit more and everything like that. Like it was just not the smartest thing to do. But when you in that grieving process, I don't really think you think about being smart. <laughs> You're not thinking about being smart at all. You actually thinking about just how, how can I get what I want because I don't want to lose this person. Now, the bargaining thing when it comes to losing somebody due to being like deceased, that's a little different. To me, that completely is out of your control. I mean, even them being alive can be out of their control a bit too, just because of, you know, free will. They got to choose you just as much as you want them to come back. I just feel like it may be more likely for them to come back while they're alive versus, you know, if they're going through an illness or something and it's just like, okay, God, if you heal them, I'll do this. It's just like, that's a little different. It's a, it's way more out of your control. So it's, it's definitely one of those things where if you notice that you are a bargainer, ask yourself, what void are you trying to fill? Because ultimately, that's what I feel like I was bargaining for. Granted, y'all might be bargaining for some other reason, but I was bargaining to fill a void or fill a hole that whether I would have got the stuff or not, it would have not been filled. It, it just wouldn't have been filled. Now, that might be a little different when you have somebody that may be passing away because, of course, that's that's finite. So if you were to get that person back, you probably would be so appreciative. But even if you think about it, say if that person didn't pass away, say you said, okay, God, if this person doesn't leave off this earth right now, I'd get my life together. Say this person doesn't pass away, but they still continue to be sick and you go see that person or whatever. Now you're watching them slowly die. Do you really think that you're going to get back on track when you're slowly looking at somebody pass away? So it's just like sometimes it's like, okay, even if God gives you what you asked for, is it truly going to help the situation? Like, if you can truly say it's going to help this situation, go for it. But from my point of view, from my experience, bargaining didn't help. I got everything that I asked for and still felt just as empty as before I got it. If not emptier, because, again, we I got to know him a little bit more, be a little bit more intimate, and I felt emptier than when I like than I did before. So it's like when it comes to bargaining, ask yourself like if you really got what you asked for, would you even appreciate it? Some people, some people will bargain and be like, okay, God, if you don't let this person pass away, da 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 da. Knowing damn well that when this person was on this earth, you didn't even spend as much time with them as you could have. You didn't even check on them as much as you could have. That person, you and that person probably was on on and beef for real, like y'all probably weren't even talking. So it's just like, is it is it really that you really want this person to be here? 
type of thing because some people will bargain and ask for this person not to leave out their life, but you didn't even appreciate them when they were in your life. What you asking for them back for? To take advantage again? So yeah, when it comes to bargaining, I'd say just evaluate why, why you think you may be in this bargaining phase. Again, for me, I was trying to fill a void. I, I just wanted the void filled. Like I just wanted this person here. Knowing that I couldn't have this person, I just wanted this person here. Got this person here, knowing damn well that they don't want commitment or anything like that. What was the purpose? Or why? So I'd say, what am I looking for? I'd say explore. Explore the reason why you may be bargaining. I mean, all of these, you're going to want to explore why you're in these emotions. You're going to want to go deeper. I feel like that's the only way for you to get out of them is for you to go deeper into why you may be experiencing them. But this is definitely one where you want to understand, like, why do I truly want to swap out this for that? And am I even genuine in me saying this? Or am I just upset that I don't have things in my control? Because that's one of the things they did say is that bargaining comes when you feel like you're losing control. So you be like, okay, God, if I do this, you do this in hopes that he give it to you because then you have a sense of control. Because if he just takes the person out of your life, you'll have no control over that. So it's like, okay, God, if I do this, you do this. It's like you have a sense of control. And it's like, mm -mm. even that may be something. To, why do you feel like you got to have control of this situation? That's something to, you know, explore, dive into, learn more about. So I definitely say that's another one you don't want to stay in for too long. Um, and go deep. Go deep with that one. Go deep with all of them, but definitely go deep with that one. Because I kind of just went deep a little bit. I feel like I didn't even know. Well, okay, I didn't know the void thing. But I feel like I just went a little deeper that I haven't even thought about. So, yeah. Go deeper, y'all. Go deeper. <laughs> um, number four is going to be depression. And then it says depression is persistent sadness and or a lack of interest or pleasure in previously rewarding or enjoyable activities. Me last year. Granted, I love watching TV. So if that counted, I mean, if that counts as a, a activity that I like to do, I don't know if I was depressed, but because I was just in the room, I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to go nowhere. I really didn't want to do too much of other than being in bed watching TV. I truly think that I was in the depression phase due to the loss. Definitely due to the loss. <laughs> but it says, <clears throat> during our experience of processing grief, there comes a time when our imaginations calm down and we slowly start to look at the reality of our present situation. Bargaining lo no longer feels like an option and we can, and we are faced with what is happening. In this stage of grieving, we start to feel the loss of our loved ones more abundantly. 
Our panic begins to subside, the emotional fog begins to clear, and the loss feels more present and unavailable. In those moments, we tend to pull inward as the sadness grows. We might find ourselves retreating, being less sociable, and reaching out less to others about what we are going through. Although this is a very natural stage in the grieving process, dealing with desperate uh, dealing with depression after the loss of a loved one can be extremely isolating and one of the most difficult stages. Oh, baby, it was. I am not. This is why I say, y'all, I don't ask for a lot, but if I text you, please text me back. I know that I, I lost somebody when I don't get responses. And I feel like that's so sad that you you experience or you get the confirmation from a lack of a text message. But from all of the experiences I've gone through, and it ain't been that many, y'all. It's just been four. When I don't get a response, I know I lost you. And that shit right there is so annoying. So last year... I try reaching out and I'm back in this phase again, but I'm not in depression. Well, okay. I might've was in depression a little bit last week, a little bit, uh, <laughs> but I'm not really, I'm not really in it too much. Like I was last year, but last year, you know, when I would reach out and get met with no response and it would just, uh, it, it caused me to pull all the way inward. Like, yo, this is really a reality. Like, you may never speak to this person ever again. Honestly, I think I told him I didn't think I was going to see him again. Like, I truly didn't even think that that was a possibility. Like, I was so in sadness that I didn't even know what was possible. And that's why I I will say, y'all, when you feel like you've gotten to that acceptance stage of the grieving process... I'm like trying not to get there, but it's just like, don't let people back in. Unless they are a different person. The old person cannot come in. The old person cannot come in. I don't grieve that old person. So unless you're a new person, don't come in because I've grieved that old person and I'm good. Like, be mindful. That's why I like grieving with people that are alive is so difficult like like grieving with people that you've lost permanently is difficult yes it's very difficult just because you know that that person has no chance of coming back into your life but dealing with somebody that's alive because they can now tug at your heartstrings again if they come back is so complicating but something i am realizing is that again I grieve the old you. If I get the old you again, I'm out. Like, I'm out. Like, there's no reason why I have to keep grieving the same person over and over and over and over. And there's no reason why I am even allowing the same person to come in and leave out and come in and leave out. Like, I don't mind... Like what they say when you get married, you die to yourself every day. Like you you kill off the person you was 
previously. I don't mind stuff like that, where I grieve who you were because you're becoming somebody new. That's perfectly fine. But if you come back into my life and you are the same person, the place I'm in now, I'm not grieving the same person again. Mm -mm, not me. I won't, I'm not, not anymore. It's so hard. And it, for some reason, it feels harder when you have to greet the same person again. Like, bitch, I thought you was dead. And you came back and you gone again. Like, no, 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 no. No. That's just like, say if you lost somebody permanently and they come back to life come give you amazing connection, come, you know, do things with you, and then they're gone again. Do you know how hard that would be to have to grieve that person all over again? So with living people, I refuse to have to grieve a person more than once moving forward. If you are not coming into my life as an evolved person, as a new person, as a person a little bit, well, no, a lot bit different than who you used to be. I don't even think I want to put myself in that situation again. It's so hurtful. Y'all, a lot of times with living people, we break our own hearts. We really do. Because we'll be done got through that healing. The first, the we'll be done got through the, the healing phases and accept it. And we let that person right back into our life to do the same shit. Gotta, gotta be okay with accepting the reality that this is not your person. And I'm getting there, y'all. It's such an uphill battle sometimes. Like, ugh. It's, it's so, it's so hard. It's so hard to just let go and really truly get to that acceptance place because you tend to forget that they already made it known who they are. So when they come back into your life, you're thinking that they're coming back into your life as a new person. It's like, no, they made it known who they are. So unless they show you something different, be mindful that if you have made it out of the, all of the anger and the depression and the denial and the bargaining and you finally accepted it, Put boundaries around your heart so that you do not have to go through the healing or the grieving process all over again. Oh, because it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Y'all, I am a testament to it's not worth it. It's so hard to let go. It is so hard to let go. And I wish it was easier, easier. It's not easy in the slightest. It's hard. You create these memories. You have a feeling attached to them. One of the best feelings you can attach to a person. All of that is tied into them. And you have to let that go. That shit is different. It's different. It's different. So, again, only grieve a person one time. And that could be within the same person. If a person is going to come back into your life, they better not be the same person that you grieved or they shouldn't be the same person that you grieved.
because it's only going to make it harder for you to let them go. So lastly, y'all, is acceptance. And it says, acceptance is the action of consenting to receive or undertake something offered. It says, it's the last stage of the grieving process is just accepting. When we come to a place of acceptance, it is not that we no longer feel the pain of loss. Instead, we are no longer resisting the reality of our situation and we are not struggling to make it something different. Sadness and regret can still be present in this phase, but the emotional survival tactics of denial, bargaining, and anger are less likely to be present during this phase of the grieving process. Yeah, I am working my hardest to get to acceptance. Some days I'm good, and I understand that, you know, he's not in the space that I'm in. And some days I'm just like, but, you know, this person made me feel this way. I've never felt this way for anybody else. All this other stuff that starts to come into your brain and it just makes you be like, oh, why is this my reality? Then you start to understand that it has always been your reality. You're just now accepting it. At the beginning, that man told me he was not available and I didn't accept it. After going through a heartbreak, I'm finally accepting it. And I wish that I had the knowledge that I had now in the beginning, but life be life. And so sometimes you gotta go through the ringer before you learn a lesson and you gotta take that L and flip it around and learn something from it. But yeah, I finally, after four years, I finally feel like I'm at a place where I accept that this is not my person. That's crazy. Oh, now I'm just trying to get back to a space where I can allow the energy that feeling to come back to me. I think that it'll be a process, of course. It's not anything that's gonna be easy. You do kind of get scared to let that feeling back in. It does make you hesitant to dive head first in with anybody else. Or, you know, or to cause you to kind of shut out the people that you already have close. When you lose people, y'all, because it's one of the worst feelings you can feel in your life, you really try to stay away from it. I'm starting to think that's why most women stay in the goddamn house. I Every time I go on a, uh, and watch something on YouTube or the people talking, they like, Women always in the house. They never outside. They always talk about they want a good man, but they never outside. And if you really think about it, and I think, too, that's probably why men are not outside either. It's because if I could do things to keep me away from attracting people, to get close to me, to bond with me, I don't have to deal with this loss. 
because it's coming. So you literally do things subconsciously or consciously that keeps you away from people so that you don't have to feel that pain ever again. And that's not a worth, a life worth living. I'd rather be able to say that I've had so many memories shared with people than to say that because of one loss, I completely shut down and did not make any more memories with anybody else. We're a society, which means that we need each other to be happy. A lot of people are going through the ringer right now because they're so scared to connect, but they know they need to connect. It's like a double-edged sword in today's society. It's like everybody's scared to fall in love, but we want to fall in love, but we scared, but we want to do it. <laughs> so it's like really getting that courage to say, because I know the hurt is coming, I'm not going to let it stop me from feeling the, the love. I'm not going to let it stop me from being in love with people, standing in love with people, experiencing love with people. I'm not going to let it stop me because I know it's coming. I can't be scared of something I know is going to happen. I accept that it's going to happen. So I live life to the fullest because I know it's going to happen. So y'all, acceptance, it is necessary in order for you to move forward and create more memories, more bonds, more relationships with other people. This process is not easy. I would never say that it is. And it's different from person to person. Even God number two, though I'm over here grieving him, he was going through his own grief during this whole time too. He's in his own grieving process and that looks completely different. Where me, I just want to attach to somebody. He's just like getting me away from everybody. I'm like, I just want to be next to somebody. And he's like, I don't want to talk to nobody. I'm good doing this by myself. So it's like everybody goes through grieving in their own way. And it doesn't look the same. But that acceptance, baby, that acceptance allows you to want to make more connections with people. It really does. So lastly, y'all, what I'm going to um, share from the website is it says um, how to help someone who is dealing with grief. Um, so I definitely use some of these for guy number two. Um, it's weird now because it's like, okay, I'm trying to grieve you, but I also said that I'll be here for you. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, if he wants to come back into my life or whatever the case may be if there is no changing, but I said that I would be here. How do I establish boundaries so that I can still be a friend when needed or a support system when needed, but not conflate that with wanting to be with him? And I think that would just have to come with me knowing the space that I'm in. 
if I'm ready to do that because I may have to rescind my invitation of I'm here when needed because I'm still going through my own process and it's still raw. And if I can't have a relationship with them, I don't know if I'd be okay just talking to him and then not talking to him for a long period of time and stuff like that. So, but yes, let me read through that. I got, I went a little off on the tangent. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> but okay. So the first way it says that you can help somebody with grief, it says avoid rescuing or fixing. In an attempt to be helpful, we may offer uplifting, hopeful comments or even humor to try to ease their pain or fix them. Although the intention is good, there uh, this approach can leave people feeling as if their pain is not seen, heard, or valid. The second way that you can help is don't force it. We may want so badly to help and for the person to feel better. So we believe that nudging them to talk and process their emotions before they're truly ready will help them faster. This is not necessarily true and can actually be an obstacle to their healing. And then lastly, um, make yourself accessible. Offer space for people to grieve. This lets the person know we're available when they're ready. We can invite them to talk with us, but remember to provide understanding and validation if they are not ready just yet. Remind them that you're there and not to hesitate to come to you. Y'all, um, I definitely do that last part. I, I'll i tell anybody I'm here if you need me. Um, just off of the fact that I do like to help people mentally, I will always be a safe space for anybody that needs it, um, that's close to me. Uh, my shit talkers can be, a, yeah, I, I'll be a safe space for y'all too. Um, I definitely would want to get to know y'all just a little bit more. I don't really want to just know the details and well, know your situation. I don't know the details. So, you know, once I can really connect with y'all and everything, I want to be a safe space for y'all too. I realized that a lot of people don't have safe spaces to really even communicate their emotions. Um, they get shut down, they get judged, they get ridiculed, all types of stuff for feeling. Not even realizing that, you know, feelings are a human thing. <laughs> like you're literally telling people that they're bad or judging people for being human. <laughs> Come again? So it's just like, I definitely will always provide a safe space for who needs it. Um, that's why I'm just like, for me, I think it would more so be establishing boundaries around my safe space when it comes to people that I care about. Guy number two, I will always be here for him if he needs it. But if it doesn't come with a relationship, I have to figure out a way to maneuver myself so that I don't keep breaking my heart because it does break my heart. Um, but yeah, don't force it, y'all, too. Let people come to you. If you allow them the space to communicate, they'll finally take it. A person does not want to hold in all of the stress, the frustration, the sadness. They don't want to hold that in for forever. But the reason why they don't ever let it out is because they don't think they could do so. Even if that person takes months before they can actually reach out to you and take you up on that, that safe space, Give them that space. Sometimes people really got to go through their thoughts and processes their way before they can even let somebody in. 
it's not natural for us to lean on people for mental health because it's not, it hasn't been something that's been really accepted in society, especially within the black community. If you're dealing with somebody within the black community that's going through loss, be patient, be patient and continue to remind them that you are here when they need it. You allow them to, that you'll allow them to be and you can just be a shoulder to cry on or a ear to listen or just somebody to sit next to. Cause sometimes we really just need to be in somebody's space when we're going through loss. Sometimes you ain't even got the words, but if you have somebody here that's just a support, that's helpful. Give them that space. The more they feel comfortable, the more they let it out. For me, I've learned that people are so comfortable sharing stuff with me because I allow them the space to do it. Allow them the space. If you want somebody to open up and be vulnerable with you, provide a space for them to do so. Understand that it may not come as soon as you would like it to come because that's not how we were raised. Most black men were taught to keep their emotions to themselves. Most black women, shoot, y'all get, we get knocked out all types of ways, depending on where we share the emotion. We're being dramatic or we're being extra or you're doing too much. And you get criticized and judged for you expressing emotion. So I just always try to provide a safe space for anybody that needs it. Anybody that needs somebody to listen, anybody that needs somebody to empathize, because I can understand it. Will I agree all the time? Probably not. I ain't going to agree all the time, but I can understand it. I am somebody who does, well, is doing an amazing job at being able to see the other person's point of view. There's always two, two sides to the story. And if you want to be technical, it might be three. Your side, my side, and God's side. But, you know, it's always different sides to the story. And I'm working on seeing everybody's side. So I don't hold grudges. And, you know, I don't hold anything against anybody anymore. Definitely wasn't the childish ass, uh, like... Honestly, I didn't talk about my dad this episode just because it's, it goes unspoken that I had to grieve him. Like, completely. And I think genuinely one day I will be able to have a conversation with him just to figure out what his side of the story was. I think it's essential for me to know his side of the story if I can find it out, if I care to find it out. Right now, I'm in a space where Right now, I don't care. And if I do care, it's only going to be for the podcast purposes. Because personally, I don't care. I'm over here busting my ass trying to figure out how to be okay because I wasn't raised by a father. So right now, I don't really care to have him in my life. But I do want to know his side of the story. I do want to know where it went wrong. How come he brought two people on this earth and didn't do what he was supposed to do as an adult, as a father, you know? 
what led to all of the the shit that happened you know get his side and everything but you know that just comes with growth y'all y'all to get there and i encourage y'all to get there it takes a lot of work i've been over here in my i've been to myself for so long that i have had no choice but to learn how to be okay being around everybody else and in order to do that you got to really be able to see other sides Sometimes, yeah, you may be reactionary just because of triggers and stuff like that. But for the most part, when you're able to really just be like, I'll wait on you and I'll try to understand you, you really move through life a little bit differently. And I like the I like the way that I'm moving through life right now. So yeah, just provide that space, y'all. Just provide that space. Um, if you can know your limits, I know for me, I don't ever take anybody's shit onto my shoulders. I've learned that. I learned that when I worked at a crisis center, I do not take anybody's trauma onto my shoulders, which is so surprising. Now, what I will say, I am not a fan that mental health in this country is not taken seriously. I'd take that onto my shoulders for the greater good that everybody in this country can't even go to therapy. Like, and that should not be like, something that is not easily accessible but then you got to think this country everybody don't even got health care so you just start to be like what the fuck, america but you know as far as like everybody's specific problems i don't take that onto my I, I can't solve your problems now i can help you to see where you need to solve your problems but i can't i can't solve your problems so i ain't gonna worry about your problem <laughs> so you could tell me everything and i will i will be here to empathize sympathize where I can or sympathize and empathize where I can. I will be that ear and everything. But when we get off the phone or whatever, it does not affect me one bit. And I love that for me because some people can't do therapy off of the fact that they will literally take everybody's emotions with them. And that is not going to be the healthiest. So that's, that's a trait of mine that I, I like that I that I have is that I don't take people's traumas with me. I be, and I be so consumed with myself too, y'all, like my own stuff. Cause I got a lot of stuff going on myself that I just don't even, I don't have the capacity. So if you don't have the capacity to take on other people's dramas or not dramas, but grief, because you're going through your own grief or your own problems or whatever the case, don't put yourself in that situation. Don't tell somebody you're going to be there for them, but then when they need you, you're not there for them. Know who you are and what you can actually take in. I could take in a whole bunch, but you may not be that person to take in a whole bunch. So be mindful when you actually put that out there. Because I, I, little caveat, y'all know I got to jump off track every now and again. I seen this video where it was just like this dude was talking about he's like emotionally intelligent. It was on tonight's conversation. If you have the app or follow Ace Metaphor, great. If you don't, go do that. Um, amazing content. Oh, I love them. Finger snaps every time I look at the content. But he was like, he's he's very emotionally intelligent. But what he started to notice is that, you know, women would say, just open up with me, just be vulnerable, just be real and everything. And when he would do that, he would notice that they wouldn't be ready for that. So it's like, 
before you go to asking people or telling people you're a safe space, do the inner work to ensure that you're a safe space. Because somebody might share something with you and then you can't handle it. And then it backfires because now you either use it back up against them or whatever the case may be, like whatever. Be mindful of what you can take in from a person before you just go to saying I'm a safe space. But yes, that was just a little caveat, y'all. So that's it for this week. Um, grief, it is a... Uh, it is one of the it's the one of the only things we know is gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna happen in this lifetime and that's why i just i i love that mental health has become such a topic of today to where a person can even look at this and be like you know what i never thought about that i actually been going through that let me figure out how to get to a better space a healthier space because i've been stuck in this loop I love that we are having more mental health focused conversations. I wish that the United States of America did more when it came to mental health rather than making it like the people's problem because they caused a lot of people's mental health problems, but I digress. Um, so I just wish they did more, but yeah, grief is nothing to play with. It is one of the worst things to go through but you know, once you get used to, not used to it, once you start accepting the grief, it makes it a titch bit easier. So yes. So next week, y'all, I'm going to be talking about peace and how to achieve peace or what you could do to get to peace. Because baby, if I hear be my peace one more time, scream to the top of my lungs, People be saying, be my peace, and day is a whole damn hurricane. So I want to, you know, go through that, share some things that you could do to help bring peace into your life and talk about that because I feel like it's a necessary topic because everybody want peace, but day chaotic. Make it make sense. <laughs> so, yeah, y'all. But that's what I'm going to talk about next week. So, like comment subscribe and then you can check me out on spotify a podcast and then y'all should definitely go follow me on tiktok facebook instagram yes y'all so i will tune in with y'all next wednesday seven o'clock where we we'll be talking about protecting my peace wait protecting my peace yeah <laughs> but yes this is Talk Your Shit with Deja. Where we drop the eye because not only can I talk my shit, but I want you to talk your shit too. Bye.